Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tokajer of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. This is a very special time of year on the Jewish calendar, as we are now full swing into the High Holy Days. I pray that these messages from our High Holy Days and Shabbat Shuvah services are a blessing to you, and our Maim Chaim Mishpucha want to wish you Lashana Tova. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, Father, we worship you. We praise you, we adore you, and we thank you for this evening of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, the new year, an opportunity to blast the sound of the shofar, and more importantly, to open our hearts to hear the sound of the shofar. Father, I pray that as we open up your word tonight, as we dig into the scriptures, that you will speak boldly and clearly into our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that you use me as a vessel for you, that you speak through me, and that nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained. Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts, humble our hearts, soften our ears to receive from you this evening. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. This evening, as uh, most of you are aware uh, prior to coming, and I hope by now most of you that were not aware have figured out, this is Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Rosh Hashanah translates the, the Jewish New Year, um, it is when our annual year counting changes. So as of an hour and a half ago, uh, we went from 5776 to the year 5777. And for those of you that are used to 2016, imagine trying to remember 5777. Um, every January when the year rolls to the next year, it takes me about a month to finally actually write the right year uh, when I'm putting the date down. Um, and so imagine doing that twice a year, once in January and then once on the biblical calendar in, uh, in September or October. Um, so it's always fun as things start to shift. The reason we call it the new year, because scripturally, uh, the, the Torah actually talks about this being a day for the sounding of the shofar. So the name that we give it uh, as per what's talked about in the scriptures is Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Sounding of the Trumpet. Um, but the reason we call it the uh, New Year, the head of the year Rosh Hashanah, is because this is the period of the, uh, the, the coronation of kings. So if there was a new king, it would occur around Rosh Hashanah, the coronation would, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, but it's a, a connection to the coronation of the king, but it's also, in Jewish tradition, a connection to the foundations of creation. Within Jewish tradition, it is taught and believed that creation began on Rosh Hashanah. So the, when we say this is the year 5777 in Judaism, we're saying this is the year 5777, 5777 years since creation. Um, that's the kind of the concept traditionally there. Kind of like in the Christian world, people will say this is the year uh, 2016 of our Lord, or however it's worded. I don't really know very much about that, but <laughs> however it's worded, it's something along those lines, right? And so we have kind of that, that mindset, that notation that runs there. And so there's this direct link to creation, to the foundations of creation. There's a direct link to the coronation of a king that goes into this. And then there's the sounding of the shofar which is one of my favorite things annually. I love, I mean, just on a weekly basis in our services, we regularly blow the shofar to begin our services, to get people's attention, to tell them to sit down, shut up, and let's go. Um, no, uh, but we, we, we regularly blow the shofar, and there's nothing more beautiful than the sound of a shofar. 
right? I mean, you, you just heard them, my son, six years, almost six years old, blowing a shofar that was almost as tall as him, right? Um, I mean, he was struggling to keep it up in the air. But there's nothing more beautiful than that sound. Just hearing it blast, something stirs within. And the reason why it is so important to us within Judaism is because the sounding of the shofar connects us to the realities of God himself and the heavenlies and what he is doing. And as we say in the tefillat uh, ha'adon, the, tef- the, the prayer of our Lord, the Lord's prayer, however you want to word that, uh, the tefillat tamudim, the prayer that he taught his, his tamudim, his disciples, he says, uh, on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so there's this direct connection with the sounding of the shofar as well as with these feasts, that we celebrate within Judaism. A lot of times these are called the Jewish holidays or the Jewish feasts or the Jewish celebrations. And although we get prideful about it and and maybe sometimes a little greedy about it, um, they're really not ours. They're God's. God ordained them and he gave them to Israel and he instructed Israel to take his word to the nations. This wasn't something specifically for the Jewish people. It was something he gave to the Jewish people to safeguard as they bring to the nations. It's God's holy days. It's God's mo'adim. It's his appointed times. It is God's holy days, his, his uh, holidays. It is God's time. And each and every one of the mo'adim that we read about in Scripture, beginning with the Shabbat, the weekly Sabbath, each and every one of them have a prophetic relevance. The spring feast of Pesach, Passover of, of uh, Yom HaBicharim, the uh, first fruits, uh, Shavuot, these were all fulfilled in the first coming of Messiah. Passover being when he was sacrificed as our sacrifice lamb, our Pesach say, who offered his life that we might have eternal life. Then we have Yom HaBicharim, the day of first fruits. He rose as the first fruits of resurrection. Then we have Shavuot. Shavuot is the day that uh, Israel heard the audible voice of God at Mount Sinai giving the uh, Asiret Hadibrot, the ten words, uh, the, the ten commandments. And with that was the sound of a heavenly shofar blast and the mighty rushing winds and the presence of God upon the mountain and the nation as a whole, seeing and witnessing and experiencing what, was God, what God was doing right in front of them. And then we fast forward to Acts 2. Acts 2, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh occurred on the very same day as the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. It happened on Shavuot. And there are direct correlations in the events, the sounds of a mighty rushing wind, uh, the connection to the heavenly shofar blast, the, the uh, speaking in tongues, which is a, a divine language coming forth from God himself, much like the voice of God speaking among the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, and so on and so forth. And then we move to these fall feasts. And the fall feasts all have a direct connection to the return of Messiah. See, in Judaism, we talk about Mashiach in two ways. In Hebrew, we call him Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, the son of Joseph, also known as the suffering servant, referenced in Isaiah 52 and 53. And then we call him Mashiach, uh, uh, Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David, who is our Melech Mashiach, our King Messiah. And we believe that this Messiah, when he comes, unlike the first coming of the Messiah who brought, came and dealt with suffering so that we would not have to suffer, the uh, coming Messiah, the return of Messiah, which traditional Judaism doesn't believe in him and Yeshua's Messiah, so they're still waiting for the first coming. But scripturally speaking, the second coming of Messiah, the return of Messiah, he will return as our Melch Mashiach, as our King Messiah, to end all war, to usher in eternal peace, to alleviate humanity of suffering, 
and to usher us, his bride, into the eternal kingdom of our God. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. And these fall feasts all relate to that second coming. We're commanded on, uh, on, on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, however you want to call it, open up your scriptures to Numbers chapter 29, uh, beginning with verse 1. It says, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a sacred assembly. You are to do no laborious work. It's kind of redundant, laborious work. I'm fat and lazy, all work is laborious. Making a sandwich is laborious. No, uh, uh, <laughs> you are to do no laborious work. It is for you a day for sounding the shofar. Then we jump back to Leviticus 23. Verse 23 says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a Shabbat rest, a memorial of blowing the shofarot, a holy convocation. You are to do no regular work, and you are to present an offering made by fire to Adonai. It is to be a Shabbat rest. You are to do nothing but rest in the presence of God. It's kind of like the weekly Shabbat. There's two commands that God gave that are very specific, and it floats into Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and such. It's that we are commanded to have a holy convocation. In other words, gather together with like-minded uh, people in worship in the very presence of God, and to have a rest in the presence of God. In other words, to not work our regular work, whatever that may be, not to do our regular work in our house. Um, uh, we don't wash dishes, we don't wash clothes, we don't vacuum, we don't uh, any of that kind of stuff on Shabbat, on any Shabbat, whether it's the weekly or a special Shabbat Kadol, like one of the feasts, because these are things that we do on a regular basis. So we, we go, especially my wife, these are things that we do on a regular basis, so we go out of our way not to do these things on Shabbat, so as to rest. I personally, other than leading services on Shabbat, anything to do with the synagogue, I just don't do it. I don't work on services for the next week. I don't work on graphics for the next week. I don't work on sermons. I don't work on any of that stuff on Shabbat. I focus on Shabbat. These are important aspects to what these Shabbats and Shabbat Kedolim are, these uh, Shabbatot and Shabbat, Shabbatot Kedolim are. It's important to recognize that each one has a very distinct purpose. The other thing with the, the Shabbat, in particular of Rosh Hashanah, is the blowing of the shofar. And there are two different traditions to the various sounds of the blast of the shofar. You heard this evening there are three distinct blasts. The Tekiah, which is one long blast. The Shevarim, which is three short blasts. And the Teruah, which is seven to nine staccato blast. And then, just for show off sake, we have the Tekiah Gedola, which is a really, 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 really long one until you either turn red or pass out, whichever one comes first. Um, our guys all chose red. Um, but, but there are two different traditions to what these particular calls mean and what they relate to. And as a cliffhanger to try and lure you back tomorrow. Tonight, I'm going to speak about one particular aspect of those traditions. Tomorrow, we'll speak about the other, all right? So there's, there, there are two distinct traditions. So there's a, a reason for each one of the three calls of the shofar in two different traditions, all right? We're going to talk about one tonight. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the other. And I, I, I want you to understand the reason we're talking about this one tonight is because the realities of Rosh Hashanah and its connection to the coronation of the king. Right? We serve a very specific king. How many of you remember the, the, the narrative of the story of, of uh, Shmuel, of Samuel, 
in, uh, in the, the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. The prophet who coordinates Saul and David as king and so on and so forth, right? When Israel approached Samuel and said, in Hebrew Shmuel, when Israel approached him and said, hey, uh, we want you to place a king over us. We want you to pick a king and coordinate him as king so we can be like all the other nations around us. What is it Samuel said? He got angry and he responds, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he responds and says, are you really this stupid? You have a king. You have been called out as a people for a very specific king. And as you're called out for this service to this specific king, you are to share this king with the world around you, not want what they have. And he gets really upset. As a matter of fact, in the Torah and Deuteronomy, God gives uh, a series of about five, uh, three or five commands specifically for a king. And he says in that passage in Deuteronomy, he says, there will come a time where you will call out and say, we want to be like the nations around us and we want a king. And so when you do this, uh, I'm going to help you not be as stupid as you could be. Here are a series of commands that the king must follow. And if you look at those series of commands, when Solomon, supposed to be the wisest man that ever lived, the greatest king of Israel ever in the history of Israel, with exception of uh, Melech Mashiach, um, Solomon literally broke every single one of those commands within weeks of becoming king. You've got to understand, when we fall down the, tra the, the trap of sin, the very thing that happens immediately following sin is more sin. So when we ask for a king, an earthly king, so we can be like all the nations around us, it's no surprise that then Israel kept falling in the trap of more sin and more sin and more sin until ultimately the Babylonian captivity occurs for the singular purpose of God drawing us back in Teshuvah and repentance and return back to our one and only king. And then we fall into sin again later on. And ultimately, we're put into Roman captivity and the temple in Jerusalem destroyed for a second time. And we're cast throughout the nations of all the world. And now God is again bringing us back in Teshuvah to our one and only king. <clears throat> the three blasts that we spoke of, the Tekiah, the Shevarim, and the Teruah. The Tekiah is a, a, a one single long blast. And in this first tradition of the shofar blasts, it represents the sounding of the king's coronation. When the king was coronated, there would be a sound, a blasting of the shofar. As a matter of fact, in, uh, in Numbers, there's a passage, and we're not going to read it at this moment, but in Numbers chapter 10, you can go back and look at it. There's a passage talking about the, uh, the building of the silver trumpets that were held in the tabernacle and later in the temple that were used for the purpose of calling Israel. And we take the foundations of these calls what the sounds sound like from what the purpose of the silver trumpets were and how they were blown. And so these trumpets, the, the first sound, the tekiah, and the coronation of a king, the tekiah would be called, uh, blown and it gathered people in so they could come and witness the coronation of a king. All right, now we as believers, uh, a, a looking at Rosh Hashanah as, as a Messianic Jewish community, looking at Rosh Hashanah, recognizing that we have but one king, and that king is our Lord, our Heavenly Father, that king has come robed in flesh and tabernacle amongst us in the person of Yeshua HaMashiach, offered his life as a sacrifice that we might be restored to him through the blood atonement of Messiah so that we can have eternal life in his midst, living among our king for all eternity, restored to what Israel was intended to be in their relationship, restored to what Adam and Eve were intended to be in their relationship. We recognize our king has already come, that our king has always existed, that we serve the king of all kings the Lord of all lords. And each and every Rosh Hashanah, when that shofar blast is sounded, 
it should awaken our hearts and our souls to the realization that our King is true. That our King is the only King. And it should also awaken our hearts and souls every year to re-coronate Him as our King. I don't know about you, but I know at least in my life, and those that have been here before recognize the fact that I've got no qualms about telling you the realities of who I am. In my life, I know I mess up pretty regular. Um, I assume we're all humans in this room and we have no cyborgs or anything like that. And so I'm assuming that you having the same blood flowing through your veins that I have also mess up pretty regular, right? Even as believers, we're going to sin. And guess what? Even as believers, we are also expected to make teshuvah, to repent, to return. It's more important for us as believers to make teshuvah, to repent and return to our king for one reason than it is for anyone else in the world to make teshuvah. Because the world around us is supposed to look at us to find our king. But if they look at us and they don't see Zedekim, they don't see righteous ones, then they look at us and they don't see our king. So it's more important that we make teshuvah, that we return in repentance so that the nations around us will see the holiness of God within us that they will see the presence of the living God within us, that they will recognize the power and the authority of God within us, that they will see His glory within us. And their hearts and their lives will be turned in Teshuvah as well. Far too often there are way too many believers, and I, I presume again, much like myself, that each and every one of us in this room have been very guilty of telling people one thing while living another. We like to tell people, you should do as I say, but please don't pay attention to as I do. Quite often, we're the, the, the wizard behind the curtain. We tell people what to do, but we don't do it. And what God wants us to do each and every year on Rosh Hashanah, because Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the Yamim Narim, of the, the, the day, 10 days of awe, the 10 days of repentance, in which we spend time leading to Yom Kippur, offering our hearts in repentance before the Lord. On Rosh Hashanah, we should be every year re-coronating the Lord as our King in our own lives and returning Him in repentance. The second, and it follows Suda Shevarim, the, the, the three short blasts of the shofar. It's, it's often described as a wailing blast. Three short, whale-like sounds. And I don't mean like whale, like the big uh, ocean animals. I'm, I mean wailing, like crying uh, our eyes out. It's described as a whale-like sound. And as such, it's symbolic. It's signifying repentance. So first, we re-coronate the Lord as our King. Second, we return to Him in full and total repentance. Shevarim, the call of Shevarim, the second call of the shofar blast, its purpose is to draw us in a gathering of repentance, both individually and corporately, so that we can return back to the Lord in fullness of faith and trust and honor, so that we can fully understand and embrace the realities of His sacrifice for us, so that our lives can be a living example for others. The third call, Teruah, it's, uh, it's seven to nine short staccato-like blasts. It's also known as, as short blasts of alarm. The purpose to this blast in this first of the two traditions of the shofar call is to signify an awakening of the soul. Uh, picture an alarm clock 
for, for most of us, I know especially for my wife, the most dreaded sound in the world is an alarm clock. If it were up to her, she wouldn't wake up until noon, and that might still be too early. And so when that alarm has to go off on one of those off days at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, it's the most terrifying sound in the world for her. The shofar, that teruah blast, that short staccato 9 blast, that's our alarm clock. Every year when that blast sounds, it's an awakening of the soul. It's not just an awakening of the soul to repentance, but it's an awakening post-repentance. Repentance is and, of it, is and of itself already an awakening. This is an awakening to the recognition of the voice of our Lord, the kingship of our Lord, the rulership of our Lord, our place in the Lord's kingdom. As believers within a Messianic Jewish community, and you've got to understand, the reason we have Messianic Judaism today and what Messianic Judaism is for those that are not terribly familiar. Messianic Judaism is the closest possible thing in the 21st century to what the first century body of Messiah looked like. It is everything that the third century and fourth century body of Messiah tried to throw off. Yeshua called us to live like him, to emulate him, to be an example of him. And the body of Messiah as a whole said, but we don't need any of that stuff that he actually was. We don't need that Jewish stuff. That Jewish stuff's useless. Let's throw it out. And sadly today, most of the body of Messiah, if they heard the sound of a shofar, would have no clue what that sound is. It's an alarm. It's an awakening. It's a practice for what's to come in the future prophetically when that heavenly shofar blast occurs. Those that hear it on a regular basis every year as God commanded, and I like to say that it is more direct, although the Torah commands that we blow the shofar, I think it's more accurate that God's calling us to hear the shofar. Because it's practice. What's it practice for? It's so that when that heavenly shofar blast occurs once again, we don't worry if a tornado's coming. Or if a fire truck's running down the street. Or if it's one of those emergency broadcast things on the radio. It's that we're aware of what that sound is. Every year when Rosh Hashanah rolls around and, and most of the body of Messiah has no connection to it because it's a Jewish thing. So see, even we aren't guilty solely of saying it's ours. But most of the body of Messiah has no connection to it because it's a Jewish thing. But, but guess what? Guess what else is a, a Jewish thing? That Messiah that we serve was also a Jewish thing. Yeshua came as a Jew for a purpose. He called only Jews first for a purpose. It wasn't because we were special no more than when he called Israel out from the, the, the loin of Abraham. It wasn't anything because he was special. He called us out for the singular purpose of taking our relationship that we have with him to the nations. One of the most important commandments ever given to Israel was to be a light unto the nations. And we were miserable at it. Miserable at it. So much so that God himself had to come down to show us how to do it right. And then immediately following, the body of Messiah begins to explode. Thousands upon thousands of Jewish people come to faith, experience the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh. Just a few chapters later in the book of Acts, a whole household of Gentiles experience the exact same thing. Because finally we're able to actually take it to the nations. 
But then once the nations started to come into the body of Messiah, the nations went, eh, we don't really need that Jewish stuff though. Let's get away from it. Let's run away. Let's do our own thing. Let's find a way to fit God into what we're already doing because it's where we know it. It's already easier. But when we look at God's calendar, at his moedim, at his appointed times, we recognize that if they're prophetic, if they have prophetic implications, that as believers, Jew and Gentile alike, as believers, we should be acquainted with them at the very least. Because if we're not acquainted with them, we'll never know what to look for. God says, I gave you the stars in the sky as signs and times of the seasons. And guess what each of the Moedim are connected to? The sky. It's a lunar calendar. It wasn't coincidental. He knew what he was doing. And he's calling the body of Messiah back to that. And I want you to understand, and I'm going to be closing up here, I want you to understand that on this Rosh Hashanah, if you take nothing else away from this service, I want you to understand that the shofar call, although each of these descriptions I gave you are merely traditional, it's, it's merely Jewish tradition. We came up with these because they sounded really good. I believe it was the providence of God that we came up with them. I believe it was the providence of God. Because through these traditions, we can see the fullness of what God's plans and what he's doing. And we see the truth. You know, the scripture says that, that if it comes from the Lord, it has to come true, right? And we see the truth in it. It is important that we every year recognize that God is our king. And if at the very least, we re-coronate him as our king. And by the way, a king, and even the Brichat Hashah and the New Covenant writings in the New Testament, we're commanded by God's scriptures to respect the authority of our king. The command was given dealing with earthly leaders, but it has heavenly implications as well. We are commanded to give true authority to our king. Far too often we recognize and we proclaim he's our king, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We long for the return of our king Messiah, but we like to kind of rule our own lives too. We kind of like to do it our own way, go about it our own way. We don't want anybody to tell us all those rules and regulations of the Bible. That's all ridiculous. There's no way that God wants us to follow all that stuff because that's just, that's burdensome, right? That's terrible. But if you, if you don't actually respect those rules and regulations, the laws of this kingdom that we're a part of, guess what we actually are? We, we look like the world around us. The exact opposite of what God's called us to be. The second thing I want you to take away is the shevarim. The call to repentance. Whether you have never accepted Yeshua into your life as your personal salvation, or you have walked with Him every day for the last three decades, repentance is necessary. Daily. For some of us, hourly, I don't know. It's necessary. I boil the definition of sin in our congregation. Here's this pretty regular. I boil the definition of sin down to this single statement. Sin is anything in our lives that mars or damages the image of God. 
Sin is anything that mars or damages the image of God in our lives. We were created in His image and likeness. And the first lie the enemy told us and the first lie that we believed was God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because it will make you like Him. The first lie that the enemy told us was that we weren't already like Him. He made us in His image and likeness. And as such, sin is anything in our life that mars or damages that image in our life. Because whether we like it or not, the world around us is watching us. They're watching us. I wear a keeper and seat seat all the time. People look at me strange around here in the first place. Add to it if I were doing something completely contrary to the ways of God. Completely contrary to the work of God in my life. I would absolutely destroy His image in my life. That doesn't mean I don't. I'm a human. I still mess up. But it's important that we repent regularly, faithfully. And I encourage you tonight and leading through these next 10 days especially, make repentance a regular habit in your life every day. And I don't mean just, oh, Father, forgive me because I lied or I stubbed my toe and cussed or I took a penny I found on the ground and didn't try to find who the owners were. I mean, open your heart up. Let God really dig around in the mush and pull forward the things that need to come away. Let him call forth those things. Let him reveal to us those hidden secrets. Because like I said earlier, we often try to hide stuff from ourselves. We pay counselors and psychologists millions of dollars a year annually to help us hide stuff. But what God wants to do is bring things to light because it's in light that we find freedom, not in darkness. He's calling us from darkness to light in the first place. And the final is the teruah. The blast of an awakening, an alarming sound. God is calling us to wake up. He's calling us to wake up because... Whether you've noticed it or not, I know I have, the world around us appears to be falling apart at a very rapid pace. And I believe in every depth of my heart and being that we will soon see the return of our Messiah. And it is time for His bride to don the garments of white and purity. Not for our sakes, but for the sake of the world. That they may see the work of God in our life the foundations of revival which the body of Messiah needs. I don't mean the country needs. I don't mean the, the globe needs. The body of Messiah needs revival. We need to experience the power and the presence of God in our midst again, like was experienced in Acts, like is being experienced in countries all around the world. We need to experience the power and presence of God again. It begins with an awakening. Open your hearts and your ears as we dig into repentance, as we have re-coordinated co our king in our life. That alarm must be going off. It's time that our lives get right. Not just repent, but actually walk away from those things. Because the day and the hour is drawing close. We will soon hear 
that final shofar blast that we have spent the last 4,000 years or so practicing. That blast is going to occur. The question is, is our heart going to be in the right place when it happens? So I don't know about you. The last thing in the world I would want to hear is get away from me, you workers of iniquity. I've never known you. Keep in mind, when that passage appears in the scriptures, in the Brachadashah, it appears dealing with people that thought they were doing things in the name of the Lord. We need to know that we're right with God. And that's what that alarm, that awakening is about. So I want to encourage you tonight, in just a moment, uh, we're going to run through a liturgical process of repentance. It's just an example. It's just a liturgical process. But I want to encourage you to take this concept of repentance with you. I want to encourage you, as you've heard the sound of the shofar, to recognize that your king Messiah is real and to re-coronate cor him in your life if you haven't already and be prepared for the awakening. Av Harachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we glorify you, we adore you. Father, I cannot begin to wrap my head around the realities of your love for us or why. You love us so much. But Father, I am so thankful for your love. I am so thankful for the fact that Mashiach ben Yosef has come. That he did pour out his blood upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And will return again as my Melech Mashiach. As Mashiach ben David. To usher his bride unto himself. Father, I pray that as we begin these 10 days of repentance and this process of repentance in our lives going forth from here, that you will daily work a work of purity in our lives, restore us to that pure white state, that state of the purest of garments of the priesthood. This is not something for Jews or something for Gentiles. This is something for your creation. It doesn't matter backgrounds, nationalities, ethnicity. It doesn't matter the sins and mistakes that we've made, the, heart, the, the harm that we've caused to people's lives. None of us are greater or worse than anyone else. There is no sin in someone else's life that is any worse than any sin in my life. Sin is equal in your eyes. And Father, we call you to call it out. We beg of you to call it out in our lives that we may be fully and completely restored to you. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.